didn't know they were shooting video of me the last time I was out playing hoops. Uh, that was great. Fun. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Good to see you. Welcome. Uh, I really expected this morning with our high school cheer team uh, down in Mexico that the uh, level of energy and the singing would maybe not be quite up to snuff. Wow, you guys were rocking it. Yeah, you were really bringing it. So I'm, I'm glad to know that you can carry your own, even when our kiddos are, are not uh, present. And I'll just tell you, if you want to help your preacher preach, uh, sing well, because that's one of the things it does. It just kind of tees it up for me. So I'm, I'm really glad to be with you and to be able to bring God's Word to you uh, this morning. Before I jump into that, I have some really exciting news to share with you. Three years ago, we launched an initiative called Beyond These Walls. How many were here three years ago? How many have come since that time, since that became? All right. So a few of you. That's great. I'm glad to see so many new folks. Well, if you are new uh, to us, let me tell you what Beyond These Walls was about. We had a, a big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG, that we would get rid of all of our debt. And if we got rid of our debt, if we could take the money that was going to the bank and instead begin to invest it in ministries beyond these walls... Not inside the walls. We've got a lot. We've got plenty here. But what if we were to give ourselves away to our community and to our region like we had never done before? What kind of difference could we make for the sake of Jesus? So that was our goal. Beyond these walls, eliminate all of our debt and take all the money that goes to the bank and instead begin to invest it in ministries beyond our walls. Just to remind you of how big, hairy, and audacious that goal was, we started with $5.5 million of debt. Three years ago, 5.5. Say 5.5 million dollars of debt. Go ahead. 5.5 million dollars of debt. That's a lot of debt. Our goal was that we would pay this off in three years. That's June of 2020. And I'm really t- excited to be able to tell you that we have, we have passed another incredible milestone in this last week. So if I could have a drum roll, please. We have now pushed that number down to $973,059. That is incredible. We have pushed our way through our last million-dollar mark, and we are in the final countdown. Uh, As far as we can tell, there's only about $200,000 that we're not sure where that's going to come from, but that's all right. God is sure where that's going to come from. And when that happens, when we push that number down to zero, we're going to free up 500,000, half a million dollars every year, every year, every year, every year, every year to invest in ministries that go beyond our walls into our region and we think are going to have the opportunity to transform our world. Our session is meeting next week, as a matter of fact, to finalize our initial spending plan for how we are going to spend the Beyond These Walls uh, benefit that's going to accrue to us. So that's coming and you're going to hear about that in in the months to come. But we are in our final countdown and so I wanted to, to share that with you. I hope you would be excited about that. And I want to ask you to save a date. Here's the date, July 5th. Say July 5th. July 5th. We're going to have a single service that day. So we're going to cancel all three of our ordinary service times, and we're going to meet at 10 o'clock. We're going to pack this place out. We are even going to open the balcony. That's how exciting that day is going to be. Woohoo! You're more excited about that than nearly Jesus. I mean, that's a big deal. We're going to open the balcony, and we're going to call that service Independence Day. Independence Day. That guess whose pastor? Which pastor came up with that idea? 
Yes, the Englishman. Yeah, they're still, he's still reeling, a little wounded still. So we're going to call that Independence Day. And after worship, we're going to throw the biggest party this church has ever seen. So save the date, July 5th, 10 o'clock, Independence Day. How cool is that? I can't, I cannot express to you the, the sense of joy and excitement and, and deep gratitude that I feel. It has been my sheer, sheer pleasure to lead this church for, for more than 30 years. And this moment, when we're going to pay off the last of the debt for all of the buildings that we have built, I've been waiting for this moment since 1992 when we built our gymnasium and we took out our first little mortgage to help finish paying that thing off. This is an exciting time for our church and it's exciting to see what God is doing through our church. I'm glad you're a part of it. And so it seems like a perfect opportunity for us to ask this question of ourselves. And I really mean this. I don't want you to ask this question of the person sitting on your left or on your right. I want this question to be directed at you. And here it is. Am I fully engaged in what God is asking me to do in and through and beyond this church? Am I doing my part? Am I giving according to my ability? Am I serving according to my ability? Am I leading according to my ability? Am I playing the role that God has called me to play? Or am I just a spectator? We Americans understand spectator sports very well. A couple of weeks ago was the granddaddy of them all, Super Bowl. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathered in the stands watching 22 guys down there hammering it out. Listen to that. Thousands of people, spectators, sitting in the stands on Sunday watching a handful of performers. What else does that remind you of? American Christianity is actually the great spectator sport. Every weekend across this country, every Sunday, thousands and thousands pack our religious stadiums and they sit back and they watch as a handful of performers, of professionals, do their thing up in the front. And we enjoy it and we cheer for it and we pay for it and we might even be inspired by it. But for the vast majority of Christians, we never actually get in the game. And by getting in the game, I don't mean that you have to come up here and preach the sermon. I don't mean that you have to come up here and sing, although we love it when we find talent and we put you up front. What I mean is this. Jesus didn't save us just to send us to heaven after we die. That is not just the point of salvation. It's a wonderful perk. But Jesus died for us and rose again to save us so that we could be a part of his mission to the world right now. This side of glory. Every one of us. Being a Christ follower is way more than coming to Sunday service for an hour. In fact, these times ought to be the times when we are renewed in our sense of call, when the Spirit fills us again, and we are inspired and and thrust out through those doors to be a part of God's mission. Every Sunday morning ought to be a a renewed call for every single believer in the place to get in the game. By the way, I don't assume that everyone here is a believer. I hope not all of you are. I hope we're continuing to bring people who are still pondering the possibility of following Christ. And I'm so glad you're here. But if you are, listen up. Because God is calling you to something way more than coming to church one hour a week. 
If you decide to follow Jesus, if you decide for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he is calling you to a life of purpose and power and influence, the likes of which you can't even imagine. That's what you're in, in store for. Chapel Hill is a great church. It is a generous church. I call you all my sweetheart church, and you know that. And God is doing some amazing things in this season. We are growing for the first time in 10 years. We are reaching out to our neighbors in ways that we have never done before. We are raising up a wonderful new bunch of young leaders, Rachel among them. We're getting ready to launch our first new church plant. And we are about ready, when we push that number down to zero, to invest half a million dollars every year into our communities for the sake of Jesus. There is no other place I would rather be. No other place I would rather pastor. And yet I will say this. We are not statistically much different from every other church in the country. We still have about 20% of our people doing the majority of our work, both inside and outside of the church. We might be a little bit better than that, but not much. Let me put it differently. Let me put it positively. Every Sunday, God gathers here hundreds and hundreds of people, an enormous pool of talent, who may be spectators right now, but they have not yet discovered the unique role for which God has designed them and equipped them and called them, a role that nobody else can play. Now, if this is true, if what I'm saying is true, then the question ought to be, so how do we get in the game? How do we get engaged in what God is calling us to do? Well, as always, it starts with a call from the coach, doesn't it? We don't just decide we're going to go in and take our place on the field. We, we sit on the bench until the coach said, all right, you're in. And that is our starting point, too, as people of God. It always starts with the call of God. It was the call of God that told Noah to build an ark. It was the call of God that told Abraham to go to the promised land. It was the call of God that told Joseph to go save Egypt. It was the call of God that called Moses to go and save God's people from Egypt. It was God who called Deborah to defeat the Canaanites. It was Jesus who called 12 men one by one to be his disciples. It was Jesus who called a a man named Saul to become the greatest apostle ever. Every great story in the Bible starts with the call of God. And every great story in this place started the same way. One by one by one. Your story started with the call of God. You may not even know that. You might think following God was your idea. You might think all the stuff you're doing for him was your idea. It was God's idea from the beginning. He knew you. He loved you. He called you. It all started with him. It always does. And if you don't know it, I'm just telling you, every follower of Jesus has a call upon their life. The New Testament says so, and I'm going to try to show you that in the weeks to come. But God has created each of us uniquely. He has called each one of us specifically. He has gifted each one of us particularly, and he has empowered each one of us supernaturally. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have invited him to be your Lord, he really does have a plan for your life, a part for you, a position for you to play. The question is, when that call from God comes, how will you respond? When you sense that stirring in your gut, when you say, wow, I think this is something I'm supposed to do, how are you going to respond? 
This morning I want to look at two different call stories in the Bible. I listed a whole bunch of them. We're going to look at just two of them. Two different men who were called by God, and they respond very differently. First of all, there's a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the great prophets in the Bible. His prophetic book is longer than any of them. Every, every time we come at Christmas Eve, you hear Isaiah's words echoing out over the centuries. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. That's Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah. The only glimpse that we really have, the clear glimpse that we have of a Messiah who would suffer, Isaiah 53, one of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament. It's all Isaiah! And Isaiah, who ended up being a big league prophet, it started with a call from God. And he actually describes that call in a vision he tells us about in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. You'll see it up on the screen. But listen to this story. This is Isaiah's recounting of his own call. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to realize, think about for a moment what an intimidating sight that must have been for Isaiah. We've perhaps read it. If you've been in church for a long time, you've read that a lot. But just the, re, re-enter the moment for, with, with me, would you? Here's God Almighty seated on a throne. It says he was lifted high. So it's a throne high above the floor of the temple. He's wearing a robe that is so long that it fills the entire temple. Imagine that. He has got winged creatures attending to him. They sing his praises. They're flapping their big old monstrous wings. And every time God speaks, the temple shakes. Some of you all have have complained that sometimes it gets a little loud in here at this service. You don't know loud. Every time God spoke, the whole temple shook. And the place was filled with smoke. This is what Isaiah is taking in. And we realize that as he does so, he is just terrified. He's looking upon this vision of pure holiness, of pure glory. And he realizes how unworthy he is to be in that place. And here's how Isaiah responds. He cries out. He says, woe is me. Woe is death language. He says, I'm about to die. Woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah says, I'm doomed. I have no right to be in this place. I have no business in the presence of this holy God. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. I'm unworthy. And amazingly, God looks beyond his shortcomings Just like he has looked beyond every one of our shortcomings. 
And he sees something that is worth redeeming. He sees something that is worthy of calling forth. And Isaiah tells us about that. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And I love to imagine this in my mind's eye. God there on the throne. He's surrounded by angels. The robe filling the temple. Smoke and everything shaking. And Isaiah is the only other person in the place. And God from his throne says in his powerful voice, I got a job. I need someone to do that job. Someone who will go and speak for me. I wonder, whom shall I send? And Isaiah is standing there looking around and finally he responds well here I am send me it might not have been a very powerful voice he might have choked up a little bit when he said it but that was his response here I am for good or for ill here I am send me that was Isaiah then there was Moses Moses was hiding in the wilderness. When he was a, a Jewish, he was a Jewish baby. He was adopted into Pharaoh's family. But as he grew up, he ended up murdering a man and he had to flee for his life. And so he was hiding out in the wilderness, tending sheep. He'd been doing it for 40 years. He was hoping and pretty confident that Pharaoh and everyone had forgotten him and couldn't find him. And I suspect he was pretty confident that God had forgotten him too. And then on that day, Moses looks up and he sees a bush that is burning, but it is not being consumed. And a voice speaks out of that bush and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in bondage in Egypt. I've got a job for you. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And how does Moses respond? With a stream of excuses. With a stream of excuses. Moses says, I can't do that on my own. God says, I'll be with you. Moses says, I'm a nobody. God says, that's all right. I'm a somebody. Moses says, I I don't have the power. God says, I got enough power to spare. Moses says, they won't believe me. God says, believe me. They'll believe you. Moses says, I do not... Speak well. God said, who do you think made your lips? One excuse after another, after another, after another. And finally, when Moses has run out of excuses, he just begs off. He just begs off. Chapter 4, verse 13. He says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Isaiah, Moses. A study in contrast. Both were called by God to do something great, something impossible maybe. Both were terrified. Both felt unworthy and ill-equipped and even dirty. Both were in way over the head. And yet when the call came, one of them said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And the other said, Here I am. Send me. As I shared in my blog this last week, I played on the West Valley High School Rams freshman football team in Yakima. And we were so small, 
so pathetic. We barely had enough players to even field a full team. We didn't have enough to have both defense and offense, and so some of the guys had to play both directions. I was the starting linebacker, if you can believe that. I was scrappy. And the backup quarterback. And we sucked. I mean, we were just awful. We got trumped every game we played. We never won a single game that season. In fact, near the end of the season, I got bronchitis and I was out for the rest of the season. I thank God for my bronchitis. I was so glad to be sick and that it was an excuse for me to be off of that miserable team. It was not fun. But I remember a particularly unfun game. It was with this inner city school. And these kids were tough and intimidating. And they were cleaning our clock. And one point near the, near the fourth quarter, the coach finally decided to let someone else get beaten up for a while. And so he called out to me. He said, Toon, do you want to go into quarterback? And I said, No. I didn't even say, no, thank you, coach. I just said, no. I was so intimidated, so beaten up, so outmatched and outgunned. I'm not proud of it. I, I wish that I'd said something like, you bet, send me in, coach. I'll do my best. Let me take one for the team. Uh-uh. I said, no. You may be surprised that God wants you in the game. You might even assume that Christianity is supposed to be a spectator sport with a handful of professionals doing doing their thing. And like Moses, you may feel like you haven't got a thing to contribute. That that no one's going to listen, that you don't have the influence, you don't have the power, you're ill-equipped. You have no business being in the game. And I'm telling you, God created you, equipped you, you, gifted you, and called you to a task that only you can fill. And so the question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it is true, how would you respond? Would you respond like Isaiah or like Moses? Would your response be, send me in, coach? Or would it be, no? I have no idea what your call might be. Maybe your call is inside these walls. Maybe you've been called to teach Sunday school or mentor kids. Maybe you've been called to bring a friend to Alpha or serve on an Alpha table. Maybe you're called to be one of our wonderful security team that I see roving around here all of the time, keeping us safe. I thank God for those guys. Or maybe you're called to help decorate our church and make it beautiful or to be on Titus ministry. Maybe you're one of those who's been called to be a new deacon or a new elder. Maybe that's your call. Or maybe your call moves beyond these walls. Maybe you're sensing a call to be a, a volunteer coach at Pinmet. Maybe you've been called to start a Bible study in your business or run for public office. God knows we need more believers in those places. Maybe your call is to be a prayerful teacher or a godly doctor or to be a really intentional good neighbor. Or maybe your call really is beyond these walls. Maybe God is saying to you, I want you to go on that Haiti trip that's coming up. Maybe God is saying to you men, I want you to go to Mexico with the men's group. Or or maybe God is calling you to be a a part of Chapel Hill Port Orchard, a part of our launch team, or a, a part of the serve team that will be there for at least six months. Or maybe God is calling you to make Port Orchard your new church home. 
We hope to send 100 people from this campus as a part of that plant. And we want to send 100 of our best. We want to start our first new church with the best that we have to offer. And maybe you're called to be a part of pioneering our first but not our last Chapel Hill church plant. I don't have a clue what God might be calling you to do, but I'll tell you, you have a call. I know that God wants you in the game. I know that Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. And I know that unless you say yes to the position that God wants you to play, you will not be fulfilled. You will not be complete. And neither will we. There will be a position unfilled. And if you do say yes, even if like Moses you can come up with a thousand of reasons why you think God is crazy to want to put you in the game, you're going to be blessed to see how God takes that yes and fills you with his spirit and empowers you to do the thing that you alone were created, gifted, equipped, and prepared to do. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. I've known him for many years and he's been tangentially a part of our church. But recently he had a powerful encounter with Jesus. And it has really changed him. It has changed his life. This man who thought that basically Christianity was about coming to church once or twice a year, he suddenly experienced a real call of God upon him. And I've watched what has happened. What I was surprised to see was not only that he's begun to fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with the church, he has become one of the best evangelists I've ever met. He is sharing this newfound love with with Jesus, his newfound love for his church with everyone that he can. Just yesterday, he had five young men who were in the garage of his home, and he had one of my servants online for these young guys. And when I went to his business, I was going to go see him, but he wasn't there, but he found out I was there. So he started calling employees and said, I want you to meet my pastor. I want you to meet my pastor. I couldn't hardly get done what I was, went there to do because all these people coming up to interrupt me and say, yeah, he says, I got to, I got to meet you. My, my friend didn't know it. He didn't realize it, but not only has God called him to a renewed sense of commitment to his church family, Uh, to a renewed commitment to his Lord, he has also called him to be an evangelist. He didn't even know he had that gift. I have prayed for three years, particularly, that God would bring unchurched people to Chapel Hill. We fulfilled a mission in, in a sense of presenting everyone mature in Christ, but we turned inward. And I prayed that God would open our hearts and open our doors and that we would see more and more people who don't know Jesus and have no church home that would be streaming their way in. I prayed that God would turn the hearts of we who are here and, and that we would begin to share our faith in ways that we have not done it with, with our not yet Christian friends. But in a very short time, this man who only recently has this newfound love for Jesus and for his church, he has asked more people to come to know Jesus, come to church, than just about anybody I'd known. That is what happens When someone suddenly realizes that God is calling him to be in the game. Calling him to be a part of God's mission to love and to save this world. That's one man. What about you? What about you? Do you believe that God has really laid a call upon your life? Do you believe there's something for which you are uniquely prepared, equipped, created to do? And if you believe that, how are you going to respond? Will it be like Moses or Isaiah? Will it be excuses 
or will it be trust? Will it be, oh my Lord, please send someone else? Or will it be, here I am, send me? Let us pray. Lord, obviously, I hope it will be the latter. I hope that hundreds of people who are gathered here this weekend will realize for perhaps the first time that church is more than about coming to worship for one hour a week. That, in fact, being a part of your kingdom, part of your church, means that that we we are on mission with you inside these walls, but especially outside these walls. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do what only your Spirit can do. You will stir us. You will make us sensitive. You will make us curious. You will make us willing. You will make us brave to consider doing what you've called us to do when in the past we've just said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. God, I I just pray that today as we walk out, there will be a new stirring of passion and obedience as we empower and and ordain and send forth hundreds and hundreds of servants of yours into your mission field. That's what we would ask, God. Would you do that in each individual heart? We ask it in the name of Jesus. As we close our service, we're going to have a time of giving. And...